Okie dokie. Let's roll. Let's roll. Where? I don't know. You're the one. Roll, I'm, roll, I'm, roll your less than boat. Today I decided to be completely and utterly unprepared. So uh, you as, are the one. As indifference to usual. Yes, but I'm even more unprepared than, you, uh, than usual. I have been to two barbecues today and I have decided that this is going to be the day where you lead the way and I'm going to follow and see what's going to happen. So, uh, what is the topic today? I'm being oppressed. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> the topic today is uh, the uh, continuation of a team theme that we started a couple of epi episodes ago. We were talking about the uh, a little bit about the history of the Unix systems. Okay. And my uh, idea after that was to do a, an episode which will go in parallel to that or in continuation uh, to that. Um, related to Windows systems. So specifically today we're going to talk about the Windows NT. So the last Windows that worked. All, all Windows today are based on NT. Yes, I know, but the last Windows that worked. <laughs> let's, let, let's not get bogged down right now with that. We're com coming back to it. Basically, uh, I wanted to talk specifically about Windows NT for x86, not for any kind of other platforms, because there were versions for other platforms reason being that we're going to deal with those as well in future episodes but we're going to uh, deal with them in a little bit of a different way because we do have some very weird machines somewhere here in the building that we got as an uh, from uh, undisclosed company uh, that we could use to install old windows nt on another architecture i just wanted to say that we have much more hardware that is uh, windows nt 3.5 uh, capable on other platforms that we have on uh, actual intel that's quite possible, actually, yes. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the way in which, uh, uh, you know, Windows NT came to be. We're going to talk a little bit about the history, the influence of NT to today's operating systems. Some, uh, let's say we're going to exchange some information about parts of competition for that. We're going to talk a little bit about OS2 in parallel to it as well, because that's a story that's directly related to Windows NT without going you know knee deep into os2 which uh we already agreed upon that it's going to be at least one separate episode maybe even more so that's our topic of the day uh and with that being said uh, let's roll the intro Okie dokie. You want to start or should I? Uh, I'm going probably going to start because I want to just have a personal opinion on Windows NT. Windows NT was probably the first thing, uh, the first time I uh, moved away from DOS. Because okay. uh, back way then when I had my PC, uh, what I tried were uh, DOS, then I tried Linux. Mm -hmm. And then came along uh, Windows NT, and Windows NT was promising. Windows NT 3.51 was something that we actually used as a day-to-day -day driver uh, because way back then uh, licenses were not that big of a problem. So uh, <laughs> using using a server operating system uh, on a desktop environment was something that was more or less okay for what you could do. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was that uh the, you know, the applications didn't 
the applications that were actually existing back then didn't make uh, so much fuss about um, running on operating system that is server-based server or desktop-based. So mm -hmm. Windows CT was actually a fully-fledged operating system. Windows 95 wasn't. So uh, Don't go to Windows 95 because NT came out uh, before Windows 95. It yes, was 1993. Yes, a little bit. But, yes, uh, but the Windows uh, NT was uh, the thing that you... Uh, it was uh, out in 95. It was mm. out in 95. No, 93. Uh, but first version was 93. And, and anyway, okay. You're uh, talking about uh, 351. 351, yes. Okay, I get it. The, the, the actual version that, was, that uh, I tested. Okay. And Agreed. this was something that you could choose between Windows 95 and Windows 935, 351. And uh, 351 was much more uh, interesting package because you almost got the same things that you uh, got on the newer newer version of the windows but at the same uh, time it was much more stable okay my story is a little bit different uh, i went from dos to uh, regular windows free zero free one uh, and then with that win 32s extension whatnot uh, and with workgroups as well i played with that a little bit I'm just, I'm just going to say one thing. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you and say, uh, I don't consider those windows as windows. I don't consider them as applications. I get it. Still, I just wanted because to make a distinction. Because I was running DeskUX uh, back then, so. Yeah, okay. Uh, but after that, uh, after I got my first 486, uh, which was based on uh, IBM's uh, 486, which was DX4, 120. Then I moved to Windows 95. So my story doesn't circle directly to Windows NT. Um, but soon after deploying Windows 95, uh, which, as I usually jokingly say, is the only operating system in the history of IT that we didn't mind reinstalling twice a day or, or a week, depending on how much you were using them. Uh, I started first with Windows 95, and then I moved to NT-based system, but it wasn't as a daily driver, NT35 or 351 or 4. It was actually a little bit later than that. My first NT-based system that I, that I was running on my computer was Windows 2000. And there was a reason why I was uh, using that as a daily driver on a laptop, no less. Okay. Versus the uh, desktop Windows, which we'll come back to in a second. You mentioned parts uh, of the reason, actually, in your previous uh, discussion. But on aside from that, I did use 3.5, 3.5.1 and 4. Uh, as some of the, uh, let's say, some of the companies that I started working for on the side were using them. Um, it was basically the beginning of my college education. That's the, um, in 1995, I signed in, signed in for college. Already in 1996, I started using Linux and I started getting my first let's say, side gigs, side yes, hustle, yes, yes, side yes. jobs for as system admin because Linux pushed me in that direction heavily. And 3.5 NT uh, and uh, 3.51 as well, which came a little bit later, and after that Windows NT4 were part of the business environment already back then. But my story also uh, detours to Linux uh, and in 1996. Uh, which I tried for many, many years to make my daily driver as a desktop and never succeeded. And as we jokingly discussed uh, in more than a few episodes, this, this is the year of the Linux desktop, desktop yes. and it's not going to be and everything is going to still be fine in the world. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my I'm not, side. I'm, not, I'm going to say that I'm going to change my story. I don't think that this is going to be the era of the Linux. Linux desktop is never going to come, uh, come to a point. Mm. But I think that uh, Windows desktop is also going to fade away. 
I think that we are going to uh, come to an era of uh, hybrid desktop. We are going to have to decide first on which kernel are we going to drive uh, drive on. And I think that Windows and Linux are so close to having a common kernel that it is annoyingly obvious that uh, I think that the only thing that right now Microsoft is not doing and uh, they are not saying that they're going to do it is they're not releasing uh, the Windows version that is running on Linux kernel and then uh, having all the services for the uh, Windows architecture above it. So I think that there exists at least, a tr uh, there, is, there probably is uh, a project inside Microsoft that is trying to do this. Okay. Because Good. Windows subsystem for Linux is so deep uh, inside the Windows kernel that I wouldn't be surprised that there is something that is booting the Linux kernel first. They actually discussed the, the capability of running X applications in uh, WSL. So yes. I, I read about that. And they were. Yeah, and th that would be the, the step in that direction, even more so than. If you, if you do this, you are basically you have basically created the, uh, the Windows operating yeah. hybrid desktop, and this is going to be a way forward, unless Microsoft uh, breaks everything with trying to incorporate cloud desktop into the desktop. That's, I, th I thought when you said hybrid that you're going that way. And this is going to be another annoying thing that is going that we are going to have to live through i am never ever going to use that okay but it depends on how much money microsoft is going to spend on it and how much uh, is this going to cost the companies because then it's uh, basically windows becomes a subscription model yes as a result of that and we both made abundantly clear what we think about the subscription-based models I have I have no problems with the subscription-based models uh, when somebody else is paying or in uh, and or if they are free. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. Okay, starting with uh, the actual, let's say, history point of uh, Windows NT. Uh, when Microsoft actually started working on NT-like operating system in the 80s, it was not the product of the of the, of the 90s per se. And they actually started working on uh, NT in tandem with IBM. The original, let's say, project was something like OS 2.3.0 that they wanted to uh, uh, make kind of like um, central hub or let's say a server operating system something. But later on, when, uh, when that uh, partnership dissolved, which is what happened as a part of the, um, the development process and Microsoft went to uh, Windows 3.0 on the desktop side of things, which became super popular all over the world. This is basically the inflection point at which the, uh, the path of Windows desktop and NT-based systems and the OS 2 start diverging. But let's, let, let's just uh, stop uh, for a bit and mm -hmm. let's talk about the main difference between 3.5 uh, NT and 3.0, then 3.2, then 3. Point whatever uh, the desktop version, okay. because there is a significant. Uh, yes. uh, there is this they're completely different in technological background. Yes, but when people see the desktop uh, of Windows NT uh, and don't uh, recall how it was done back way then, they think that this is the, uh, the same uh, operating system. It's, it, it was as far away as possible within the realms of Microsoft. Yeah, yes, but yes. since we are, we are old, but no, uh, not everybody is so old as us. <laughs> so not everybody has tried it. Uh, okay. We need to distinguish between the kernels and we need to distinguish between how the operating system itself was running. Because yeah. Windows 3, uh, the desktop version of Windows 3. And 3.1 and 3.11. Even Windows 95, 98. Were basically user space applications. Yeah, on top of DOS. On, on top of DOS. And they were using 
extended memory, they were using different uh, tricks to uh, use the memory and so on, but they were user uh, user space applications. Yep. Windows NT uh, was a, a fully-fledged fully operating system with its own kernel that was able to run directly on the CPU that didn't have a separate operating system running it. Mm -hmm. So it was a separate operating system as we understand it today. Correct. Yes, I okay. completely agree with you. That's a very good uh, summary. Yes. Executive summary. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, then um, uh, basically to continue down the, the path of that part of the history, IBM continued OS2 de development. Microsoft went in its own direction with the development of both their desktop systems and the server-based systems, and he was basically meant to do that. And as a part of that divergence in multiple different paths, from the perspective of the IT industry, not only from Microsoft's perspective, a couple of very important things happened. First one being that uh, basically the, the adoption of Microsoft-based OSs skyrocketed. Uh, the adoption of OS2 didn't as much, although they had very, uh, very, very dedicated user base. I still, miss, I still miss OS2 Warp. Yeah, we're going to have that discussion in another episode. I like I liked it a lot. I only yes. tried it a couple of times and played with it for a limited amount of time. But its capabilities of preemptive multitasking, uh, memory management, uh, ability to run basically any kind of Windows application and to have um, you know, like multiple DOS windows opened and or Windows applications opened at the same time was something that Microsoft OSs could not do at that time. And I think that there are still some things that... Uh... Uh, are not available at this time yet mm -hmm. on Microsoft Windows, especially the actual preemptive multitasking and the uh, interrupt-based uh, kernels, because the way the interrupts were uh, handled in the US too, back way then, was much, much, much better than what Microsoft was doing. Yeah, and, I and remember, I remember reading about that recently as well. Yes. And I remember that on the same hardware, because I had only one PC, mm -hmm. so I had to switch uh, operating systems, uh, OS2 felt much quicker and much more responsive than uh, Windows. Actually, while we're on, on the topic of OS2, just to sl slightly do a, do a slight tangent. When that battle was raging on the market, basically both of us were teenagers. Yes. We weren't uh, even, maybe we were like mid-high high school, maybe towards the end of high school when all of that was happening. Okay. And we were both, I think, if I remember correctly, feverish readers of the IT magazines already back then. Yes. And I remember reading about that battle in the magazines when way back then when magazines were actually quite good still. Yes. And I was basically cheering for IBM at that point for some reason that I couldn't deduce, apart from the fact that their OS at that particular time was better. That there is no, I mean, technologically speaking, if you talk tech purely, OS2 was definitely better than what Microsoft had with Windows 3.0, 3.11, all of I those I think that things. the main reason was that uh, OS I mean, do you remember it that way, that yeah, there was a big yes. fight raging on the market? Yes, there was a big fight raging on the market. Uh, it didn't look like uh, OS2 is going to lose because at the same time, as, as I, uh, the distinguish, distinguish, uh, to distinguish between um, uh, NT and the desktop version of Windows, mm -hmm. OS2 was also a fully-fledged operating system. Yes. Much better than what, uh, what was offered by Windows NT or mm -hmm. uh, desktop Windows. And the thing that I remember back then is not only that uh, I was uh, cheating the IBM to succeed with US2, the other thing was that uh, they were 
neck to neck uh, when it come to op- came to operating system. Mm-hmm. But when it came to desktop operating systems, uh, OS 2 was way, way, way better than when Windows was doing. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, some people realized that uh, the kernel is the thing that we need to upgrade. Mm-hmm. So they upgraded the kernel and Microsoft was pushing uh, for the user interface, but they didn't push for the uh, kernel to be able to do what it needed to do. So the multitasking and everything else. So. My perspective is that back way then, OS2 was the way forward. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a way forward. And I honestly still don't, still don't understand what happened with IBM. I do. We, we can simplify that or say that in a way in which you will understand because it's one of your fa- favorite things. I would say that IBM just was being IBM in a sense. But there's actually a larger humoristic, sarcastic point to be made here uh, on that topic. On the topic of uh, the OS2 uh, warp, versus the, 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 the equivalent versions of Windows back then, which is that IBM made sure that they kind of uh, tear off the defeat out of uh, the mouth of victory. As we out say of Joseph Victory, yes. Yeah, Joseph Victory. They made a spectacular, like, uh, uh, programmatic, uh, programmatic and corporate effort of doing that that's the only thing i can say yes but, uh, especially when you know that uh, a lot of ibm hardware that came out of the ibm even much 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 later as as um, far away as i think a couple of years ago uh for example atms Mm-hmm. Uh, they were running on the uh, os2 mm-hmm. and they uh, had a lot of hardware that is coming out 10 years later after they uh, quit the os2 with OS2 installed, mm-hmm. and there is so much hardware out there on the market that uh, actually there is actually a version of OS2 that can be shipped right now, and we are going to talk about this in a separate episode. Yeah, I, I love that topic, and yes, it's going to be very interesting for us. Okay, the starting point of the development of NT was actually already 32-bit operating system. That's also one of the fights that were raging on the market at that time. 8-bit moved to 16, 16 to 32-bit, and way, way later we started talking about 64-bit, but that's already 2000s. That's uh, the first Microsoft desktop OS with 64-bit architecture was XP 64-bit, coincidentally one of the worst OSs that they ever did. Yes, uh, and on the, and, on there the is, uh, and, and there is a huge competition on that uh, yeah, part of the market. Uh, separate episode. Let's let's <laughs> yes. let's rate rate them because I have some strong opinions, just <laughs> like you do about that. But it was actually quite a significant departure from the current way of thinking back then, because all of the OSs were sixteen bit. Yes, were, which were used back then, and afterwards, after the uh, initial onslaught of Windows NT. 3354 three, Microsoft went uh, uh, further with the development of that and we feel the effects of that even to this day in Windows servers not so yeah part, partially in Windows client um, client versions as well uh, but with servers they went into another direction in terms of the marketing scheme and naming and whatnot they started 2000 2003 2008 blah 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 then dropped the NT from the name and nowadays if you ask them about NT there they will probably tell you NT what's that what does that stand for we don't remember you know yes uh, and the other thing was that uh, NT4 was the first time they realized that uh, operating system for server should be able to run workstations. Mm-hmm. So should be able to control the workstations. This was uh, the first time when they actually realized that uh, they need to create some sort of an Active Directory or 
uh, anti-war group uh, yes. based uh, 2000 system. is the first uh, so at the 84 was the first was the first uh, war group based uh, operating system that was coinciding with uh, Microsoft realizing that you need usernames and passwords and you need uh, a system that is able to understand what the network is mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Windows war groups so There were different times back then. Windows for work groups. I love that. When I remember that, it just makes me smile how, yeah, how ridiculous that was. No, no, the, the most ridiculous part was that they kept the same number, the version number, mm-hmm. but they stuck Windows for work groups after the version number. Yeah, WFG. Yes. The so, WFW. So basically, you had an operating system and then uh, the ability to talk to a network card was uh, advertised as, uh, as a new functionality. The only OS that pissed me off as much as that did... Uh, was a network. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I quite liked uh, one of these work groups. I liked that the idea of uh, a fresh install meant that you were always the administrator. Mm-hmm. I liked the idea that you could always press control, delete and login as administrator, whatever, whoever was logged in. I liked the idea that the idea of the uh, ser- uh, username and password didn't exist in the first version. So they just made it uh, work later. The idea that they first started with a decentralized network because they couldn't create a centralized network mm-hmm. because there wasn't nothing to centralize on. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a lot of concepts that I like about uh, Windows for Groups. Okay. They, they were quite a good thing that happened to the IT because this enabled people to uh, realize that they need to do something because Microsoft is not going to do it. We, uh, I think that uh, probably it's evident that you have some strong opinions about that. We should do an episode about Windows for work groups. <laughs> I, I have, I have, uh, this was the first time when I realized that uh, IPX networks are not the only ones mm-hmm. and that network is not, a uh, network is not the only one. And then when it, uh, this is the first thing uh, that made me realize that Microsoft is not infallible, that my, uh, Microsoft usually Uh, it seemed that like Microsoft was just uh, creating another system after another system that was working. And then suddenly you realize that they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Okay. One of the, uh, switching a little bit to the ideas uh, and architectural, let's say, advancements that NT brought to the market. It's layered architecture that consisted of kernel mode and user mode. Yes. This was something that was a significant shift in the way in which operating systems were being run on, at least on Microsoft in a sense, because Unix-based models were already familiar with the, with the methodology. It's not like it was something new. And the programs and the subsystems and the services and whatnot, all of that which was brought to the, to the fold, then the hardware abstraction layer, super simple kernel, which was kind of like a, a little bit monolithic for all of the yes. hardware, etc. 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 But uh, going back to what I said about Windows 2000, the reason why I was running that as a daily driver on my then AST netbook uh, laptop, uh, and uh, AST is a company that if if you want to look into that, you're going to find some very very funny stories on on YouTube. There there are a couple of guys who used to work there who were made a funny shambolic series of videos about that. But I chose it because it had the capability to work with network properly and also, but th- this is ra- uh, around the time of Windows 98, 95 on the client side of things. Those OSs, you could not reconfigure network, TCP IP yes. part without reboot. 
2000 could do that. Yes, that yes. That was one they, of they, my they, primary They, they, they uh, redid the TCP IP stack and uh, they were able to reconfigure the at least layer, layer 2 and layer 3 uh, in part so that you were able to uh, reconfigure the network. Yes. But even in that, you can clearly see the difference between the NT-based system and the old-fashioned uh, operating system on the client side, how different they were. Okay, but to be completely honest, uh, you didn't need to re uh, re uh, reboot the Windows uh, 3.11 or whatever. You just needed to restart it because they were an application after all. Okay, but Windows 95, <laughs> 98 and yes, uh, yes, second yes, edition, yes, you, yes. you really needed to reboot Okay, everything. but you didn't need to reboot it because it did it by itself. Yeah. Eventually, if you wait Eventually. long enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah, so, yeah. so the, this is another thing. And the other thing, but let's let's talk about one more thing. Uh, let's talk about uh, 16 versus 32-bit. Okay. I think one of those things that uh, defined the um, computing environment in the uh, late 1980s, start of 1990s, and then into the middle of 1990s, is that people were... Um, expecting that each new version of the uh, processor or each new version of a computer is going to come with a new version of the operating system. Okay. Because uh, in the 80s, your computer was defined by its own operating system. You didn't have an operating system per se. You didn't have something that you could upgrade, download, update, then upgrade install, and, change, and change. It was in, in the computer. Already. And then we went from 8-bit uh, to 16-bit and then to 32-bit in a span of, what, six or seven years. Yep. So... Uh, the uh, speed of advancement in the in the CPU field was so quick that people didn't realize what is going to happen next. Mm -hmm. Everybody was expecting that everything is going to go and work uh, as quick or be upgraded as quick as the processors. So jumping from 16 to 32 bit wasn't something that was unexpected. It was discussed in 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 public and in the it magazines and the fights about that and the and the uh, you know cheering fans of yes and never 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 ending all of that never, never ending story yeah. of, never ending stream of people who think that 16 bits should be enough for everybody but this is the normal thing people hate the change but uh, contrast that to today everything is 64 bit nobody's talking about 128 bit operating systems uh, Do you see the difference? Yes, because they, in most part, don't know what the operating system is that they're running on. Uh, sometimes they do because they realize that the Windows 10 that they installed is unable to work with the... Um, uh, is unable to work with the amount of memory that they have in their computer. So mm -hmm. they need to do something to uh, enable the rest of the memory. But this is as far as, as, far as it goes. Mm -hmm. And they are completely blissful of the idea of the, the graphic card being 128-bit. Mm -hmm. Or 256 or, 256 or, or whatever, yeah, yes. whatever it is. Yeah, I agree with you. But the uh, computer architecture today is not something that people uh, generally understand, concern themselves understand, with. Understand, uh, think about, or even try to think about. Why, they, why is that? Uh, computer is a commodity. I think that it's also because computers are fast enough. A computer is a fast enough, but they're a commodity. Mm -hmm. uh, back way then, you also had the computers that were fast enough with what they did. For example, a PDA was a PDA. It was an mm -hmm. okay thing. But right now, since your computer can do everything, uh, it's a commodity. You just buy a new, new one, uh, lose the old one, and that's it. Okay. So you don't care what's inside. You're talking about yourself or about everybody? Uh, mostly about everybody. Because people are not... not uh, 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 right now, I don't think that people are 
concerned about losing a computer, breaking a computer, because they know that the computers are, uh, they are not cheap, but they're not as expensive as they were. Oh, yes. Uh, and they are something that you can just replace. Well, that uh, the, the level of pain that you're going to have with that depends on where you keep the data. Yes, but that's, long live the cloud. Long live yeah, the cloud. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's a separate discussion that we're going to soon have. Yeah, you covered user interface, which is a good point. User interfaces between these OSs, so anti side versus the desktop side, it was like night and day, definitely. Yes. Uh, the differences were also uh, in functionalities because the desktop OSs were really lousy in terms of hardware support, network support, internet support, and all of that. I remember running, you know, trumpet wind, trumpet windsock, and all of you those. You had to run in order to uh, have any network experience on the Windows on the desktop. You basically had to run third-party applications. Yeah, you you could run, uh, let's say, bits and pieces of the network even in DOS with specific network cards that were supported, and they were very but low. But it, it was a know, clutch. The... It was a clutch. Basically, it yes. was uh, everything was a patch upon a patch, and it was working in some parts of the operating system. In it's the same story as with optical devices. Back then, drivers for the optical devices were running, uh, basically run during the operating system, boot in DOS. Okay, but people, MSC DEX. Yes, know. but people didn't, weren't uh, that concerned with it because way back then we had the graphic drivers to, to display uh, certain kinds of fonts. We had a special driver to be able to support the mouse. Mm -hmm. So we didn't. We, we weren't, still have that today. Yes, we did. We weren't so concerned about uh, having a different driver, but we were more aware of it because we had to actually explicitly uh, load it. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, the operating system itself was just right now is just hiding it, mm -hmm. but there is a driver for everything in your computer. Mm. One of the things that was introduced in Windows NT, which still exists today, actually on the server side of things is the capability to do VPN. And I think that that was actually a very significant moment in the development of the server operating systems. If you have the capability, back then it was PPTP, nowadays you have many more protocols that are supported. And PPTP is not necessarily very secure today, but back then it was a big deal because that meant that you could actually do VPN as we know it today. Okay, but I would say that uh, this is one of those things that wh when I actually can say that I'm a little bit of a Microsoft hater because they also did it halfway. Uh, the pop and chop were, were done in a clear text format. So uh, they first started for some reason that the only they understand and understand, uh, they always tend to start things by creating something that works becomes a sort of kind of de facto standard in the market, but it's, it's in its core is non-functional in some way, being yes. unsecure, being uh, obsolete because it can't route something, it can do something else. So this yeah. is one of those things. Yeah, you're, you were doing the two semesters of Microsoft-based lab work uh, in this academic year, so you're familiar with this even more now than what you were in the past, although you knew it back then as well. Yes, but the, and I was, uh, the, the service that is running this, so the network uh, service that is running this in Windows, I think it has been upgraded in more than 10 years. So it doesn't for, uh, it has support for PPTP, L2TP, IPsec, nothing else. And it has been like that for many, many years. And there are five or six different models of using that service to do something and some of them still to this day don't work properly 
like routing, for example. Um, I'm when when we talk about uh, Windows and uh, VPNs and everything else, uh, I'm sometimes amazed on how Microsoft actually invested money in the, the stuff like um, direct access or something like this. That's where I was going. Uh, and this, yes. and then and then they completely uh, dropped the ball when it comes to implementing it. No, no, direct direct access was always awesome. It's just that they stopped supporting it a couple of okay, years ago, which was... Was it always awesome when you had to have two consecutive IP addresses in the IP4 range when you, if you wanted yeah, to display it? I had no problem with that. I, I, I wouldn't call it awesome back then. Okay. It, it was a problem. No, no. If, if you discount these picky little details that you are picking from the pile, uh, the service worked perfectly, had almost zero issues, wasn't difficult to troubleshoot if it had okay. some. It was HTTPS based, which meant that the only real thing that you needed, needed to worry about yourself with was certificates, which were easy enough to do if you knew your way around them, which we do so it's not a problem with, for us. And it worked for many, many years, many, many years and many, many years, even for this company. A lot of people are still using it to this day without any, any issues whatsoever. Okay, we, we can uh, definitely uh, go into the details of uh, the fact that some of the routing capabilities don't work properly. Sometimes there are issues with various, uh, let's say, other services. If it, it if that's if direct access server is not working properly, like network location services, which can break Active Directory if you go too far with it. So yeah, there are so many details that are not necessarily done in a correct architectural fashion. I think right. that I the main reason, that. main main thing that I'm always uh, accusing Microsoft of is that they are trying to bundle bundle services. For some reason or the other, they refuse to acknowledge that uh, it is completely feasible to create a system that is going to be consisting of different services that are not going to be interconnected. Mm -hmm. So jack of all trade, master of none. No, but no, but they are for some reason they are binding services together. For no reason, they uh, insist of VPN being part of uh, the routing loca service. or location service, and you can do it in other ways, and you can do it in other ways. Not actually, uh, architecturally speaking, that makes a lot of sense that they made that decision. Although it's impractical uh, when you have problems, so that you that much you're correct. Uh, but the reason why they did it that way is because they have those free firewall and network profiles. And for everything in network and Active Directory and direct access to work, you need to be in certain profile for that. Okay. For, for that reason, you have NLS, network location server. And if that doesn't work properly, then you have problems distinguishing in which profile you are, which in turn then, you know, those beautiful signs on on the uh, net, on the computer, on the system tray, when it starts telling you that you are not uh, connected to internet or whatnot, or not a part of the domain while you are. Yeah, I know that. But uh, there are arch architectural reasons why they did it that way. I'm not saying that it's perfect, but there are reasons why. I know there are reasons why, but I think they are completely wrong. Because my, my uh, perspective on this is that uh, they had to create a solution for a problem that they made. No, actually, there is one other reason uh, that why I, I consider this to be a very good solution. It was group policy deployable. Okay. At, at the time when nothing else was. Okay. Okay. But we, we, we can agree on that. It was really good for, for from that perspective. And as I said, it just worked. And the wizard created the necessary server and the client policies for you. So you didn't need to manually configure anything. And that, that was also very good. So what are you going to do when now when Microsoft uh, suddenly doesn't understand what group policies are in the cloud? 
and no OUs and stuff like that. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, we're going to sp spool up Azure gateways and pay them in thousands of euros per month. I think somebody's the way. To do what? VPN? No, 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 to do the Active Directory. Oh, as you mean SMB yes, Linux? Yes, yeah. yes. But that's based on, I think, 2008 or something like that schema, so it's a little bit too old. Okay, but it supports GPOs. It does, it, they, so, and they yes, work. Yeah, yes, they work, yes. You are such a troll. Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, one other thing. So I'm still on the topic of uh, uh, architectural advancements of NT. Okay. I think they're very important. To this day, they're important, actually. NT was the first real um, uh, operating system that supported SMP. Okay. Multiple. At that time, it was multi-socket, single core. Uh, and from that... You have a whole lineage of other products till this day that support multiple CPUs, whatever the amount is. So that was the first real Microsoft OS that supported that. Just one, just one more uh, point. Uh, way back then, uh, way, way back then, way back then, <laughs> um, the thing that also needed to be said is that uh, the difference between a server and the desktop and the or workstation, workstation yeah. wasn't so clear. Uh, I would say that it would, for me it was clearer than today, but okay, go ahead. I think I think that the differences, especially between workstations and servers, weren't that much, um, uh, I would say, uh, uh, they weren't so visible to a user. Okay, there were differences, mm -hmm. but uh, today when you uh, control a server and when you buy a server, a server has a, a, certain, um, a certain amount of uh, functionality that wasn't available back then. Mm -hmm. So your server was basically way back then was a better uh, motherboard with better support for some kind of hardware, with better drivers, but you didn't get a bells and whistles that you have today. Okay. So I think that one of the reasons why we were able to run uh, Windows NT uh, on the uh, desktop uh, boards mm -hmm. and on the desktop itself was because the hardware itself wasn't so different. Mm, you, okay, would, you, you, you couldn't pull that uh, today. And, and the driver support for that for the anti-lineage of products was actually quite good. Yes, yes, yes. It yes, was yes, quite yes. good. They were much better than the, let's say, Windows's 3.x, 9Xs, etc. that were highly problematic with drivers. You know, that, yeah, I agree. It had integrated web server. Yes. First OS that had IIS, Internet Information Service. Unfortunately, it was the first uh, OS that came with... All the bezel whistles uh, installed. Bells. bells. <laughs> <laughs> For whom the bell tolls. <laughs> so the bells and whistles were all installed. Mm -hmm. This is one of those, those things that Microsoft was too late to understand and then um, implement. So they started installing everything that they created because they thought that the people should be able to see it. So everything was installed. Mm -hmm. Okay. The uh, NT was quite good with software compatibility with Windows 9X applications, whatnot. Yes. I don't remember ever having a problem starting a single one of them. And they were, and I cannot stress this enough because this is something that I, uh, that I uh, think often of. It, uh, NT versions of the systems were so much more stable than the desktop OSs. I already said this. Yes, you did. But I, I, we need to stress this out. That it was a very big difference between those two OSs. I, I'm going to say this, the only time when I realized that I'm going to have to switch from uh, server-based ba server OSs to uh, desktop-based OSs from Microsoft is when I realized that NT4 is unable to support USB. 
Okay. And then they uh, did an update that was uh, USB update, so the USB was uh, once again supported. But it was in 1999. It was too late. Basically, it was basically too late. I had to then. Yes, I had to. I had to switch over to USB, and uh, it was one of those uh, moments when I realized that Microsoft is not going to provide uh, feature by feature uh, compatibility between the versions. Okay. And so that the best of both worlds is not going to be available in both worlds. Okay. So this is when I started caring about uh, when I stopped caring about uh, Windows ninety four. Okay. And then Windows 2000 was okay. Mm -hmm. The next version that I was using the, from day to day was uh, 2003. I used 2000 Advanced Server on my laptop. I used uh, 2003 extensively. 2003, I used it for, uh, from all things, I used it for uh, wireless bridging. Because I had uh, after you start the wireless service, it was doable. Yeah. Yes, I because I Just had like uh, uh, we were trying to do a community network that was spanning hundreds and hundreds of computers and hundreds and hundreds of locations. And I had a few locations where I was installed. I had installed uh, Windows 2003 because the footprint it's, uh, itself was much, much, much smaller than mm -hmm. the compar comparable uh, desktop system. Mm -hmm. It has a remote, it had a re remote desktop. Yes. So it was, it was uh, remotely, manageable. remotely manageable and the networking was working. Mm -hmm. So I was able to uh, run um, a network bridge and to bridge and reconfigure the networks. Uh, Coincidentally, using the same service that we previously discussed. Yes, and unfortunately, yes, yes. unfortunately, <laughs> yes. But uh, it was able to do that. Yeah, uh, I used it. Uh, I started my, uh, let's say, system engineering job as a service to, to others on 2003. Uh, I, I used that OS extensively across multiple companies. Some of them were using it to run everything from, you know, domain control, file server. I even had a client who were, uh, that was running um, the 2003 plus file server, plus DNS, plus DC, plus exchange, plus this, plus that for many, many years. And that server, you did not want to reboot it because it took 45 minutes for that to boot. You didn't want to update as well. And the, already the next version, 2003 R2 was one of the worst pieces of crap that I've ever seen on the server market specifically. But that's, I think, the, the a topic for another day. I would kind of like us to stop at roughly 2000 as we have many, many things to add to the future episodes about the OS that came after that. Um, I, I would I would kind of say, and this, this just popped in, into my head now that I've processed what I said. After 2000, uh, a lot of the stuff that Microsoft was doing, generally speaking, went in some very weird ways. Uh, I think that what happened to Microsoft and what is happening to Google, what is happening to all the large companies, including IBM, mm -hmm. is that uh, from time to time, and it comes in waves, uh, they have enough uh, development potential mm -hmm. and not enough managerial potential. And then they start uh, throwing things at the wall and uh, see, uh, trying to see what sticks. And sometimes they completely miss the wall. And this is, I think this is one of those uh, times for the IBM right now, uh, with all the Red Hat uh, fiasco, I think the things that are going on uh, right now, because I think that uh, Red Hat in IBM completely lost its, uh, uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't call it lost Purpose? the way, it, it, they lost the entire uh, idea why they are there. And um, this has happened to Microsoft numerous times. Mm -hmm. This has happened to Google. And when you take a look back and take a look at all the big corporations right now, being in Microsoft, Google, Facebook, IBM, uh, even Apple, mm -hmm. uh, 
they haven't done a lot based on their own development. They acquired a lot. Mm -hmm. They used parts of the functionality of the companies that they, they acquired, but uh, they stopped. Innovating they stopped. A bit. They stopped innovating at all. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that they uh, are actually continuously acquiring new companies, uh, running them into the ground and gaining nothing out of it. I would say that uh, with all due respect, that's more IBM than anybody else. But it's also but, Google and Facebook. I don't know. I would say that Microsoft is not that. After the Facebook uh, came out, what else was uh, done by Facebook uh, and uh, was successful? They bought uh, Instagram and WhatsApp. That's... Yes, they successful. bought. They bought. They, uh, that, that's hugely successful. Yes, <laughs> as we know. Okay, cool. Basically, the the uh, Windows two thousand when they came out after the NT four zero. Yes. Uh, as I said, that was my daily driver for quite a bit of time. Actually. Okay. I remember back in college, sitting in our IEEE room back in the basement, uh, my friend and I were running. Uh, he had a laptop, I had it, and we were you know network connected to our um, faculty network and everything was working really well. I, I, this was probably the first, uh, let's say, visual GUI-based OS from Microsoft that I was happy with because okay. it was unbreakable. It worked perfectly, no issues with it whatsoever. I was very happy with that. And after that, when I started playing more with desktop uh, OSs, uh, that's a different story. And it's, I think, a story for another day. What I would say is that Windows 2000 as a direct, let's say, descendant of the NT as well, NT4 specifically, brought a couple of, yet again, significant changes, innovations, let's call it that way. The first major one which we mentioned was Active Directory, which is incredibly important to this day, the most I think, important. I think this is one of, those, uh, one of those things where Microsoft, for some reason or the other, made a complete success out of something and didn't do a lot of uh, errors, uh, a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, Active Directory was designed in such a way that it works. Mm -hmm. It worked from the start. It didn't have many hiccups. Mm -hmm. uh, it also gets updated only when it needs to. So they're concerned. And you can update it yourself. Yes, well. and they have a conservative uh, approach to it, and yet it works. I would say, uh, if you if you want to support my metaphor, you know, food, drink, sleep, sleep, walk, Active Directory, you know, uh, it's it's a fact of life. Yes, in and, IT specifically. And I think that I have a strong suspicion that somebody uh, laid off the entire Active Directory team uh, uh, a, a couple of a couple of decades ago, generations and ago. Generation, <laughs> so there is nobody to poke around the code, and nobody understands how the code works. So nobody but it works. But it works, so we are not changing it. And nobody is fiddling with yes. it. That's what you wanted to say. Okay. The second change was user interface. And this is something that I cannot stress how much it pisses me off on the both client and the server operating systems for the stuff that Microsoft has done since. Uh, 2000 was, I think, the first OS that uh, introduced that classic look. Yes. If you remember that. Which was clean, functional. It did not abuse your hardware. It didn't need... Uh, soft shadows and and uh, encoding and decoding and 3D and whatnot Aqua. for it to work. Aqua and yes. blah, whatever you want Alpha to call channels, them. Alpha channels, transparencies, don't. please don't. Animations. Please don't, yeah. 
this is where I think they they kind of lost the plot because uh, as evidenced by a lot of things that happened afterwards, when they removed the classic view from uh, their both desktop and the server OSs, hundreds of thousands and millions of people did what? They installed classic shell or something like that to get it back. And I was just one of them. Yes, and I'm going to I'm going to just go uh, one step further and say that even in Windows 11, there are still still parts of the operating system that use the classic look. Mm -hmm. So you can, if you dig 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 deep enough, uh, you can find the classic look in some Windows applications because they haven't changed the entire uh, the entire user interface. Of you the know I want, what I want. I want somebody to find a set of registry settings, true, 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 false, 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 which we can input, or registry file would be even better, which reverts that stupid UI back to classic look. Uh, what I would like is to uh, have a nice chat right now about uh, Windows uh, printing subsystem. Please no. Uh, Please no, for the love of God, no. Because I want to just say how incredibly idiotic it came uh, out when it uh, was first working on Windows 3. Still is. No, 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 no. Let's talk about the first one on Windows 3. Uh, then... Let's talk about the amount of network, uh, the amount of drivers that you had to have to drive your uh, printer, even though your printer was actually supporting something called ESC uh, ESC two, or if it is about the Epson or uh, PostScript, heaven forbid, or PCL, or PCL, whatever. So you had standardization on the side of the printers, but no standardization on the side of the operating system. Then the Microsoft started realizing that uh, the thing that they could do was uh, host side rendering of the uh, pages. Mm -hmm. Then they wait, went through two or Which three. Which I think it still does to this very day. Yes, but they went to two or three ways of rendering. Mm -hmm. They created a bunch of incompatible hardware uh, that was running on Windows 95, but wasn't running on Windows 98 because they changed the Windows printing subsystem. Then they changed it again. And I think that they changed it again in the last 10 years. So Windows Printing Subsystem, okay, the... Uh, you want to tell me that that's a metaphor for what Microsoft does? Uh, that your... No, 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 but it, it is amazing that uh, Abomination, as printers are, mm -hmm. uh, is being... The worst piece of hardware the, ever invented. Uh, uh, yes, the, the, they're just the, the bane of the existence of the normal system. This is administration. Unless we're talking about 4, 4, uh, 4L. 4L, uh, and, H, H 4L, and uh, 4100 uh, HP, mm -hmm. which were amazing machines. Unbreakable. Uh, unbreakable machines. But uh, having said that, uh, the abomination as the printers uh, are was even worse because Microsoft kept get, getting it worse. So they kept switching, it, uh, yeah. they, they kept getting the problems worse because they kept switching the drivers. They made the um, uh, manufacturers change the drivers. So they had to create different versions of drivers for different versions of Windows and the drivers were completely different. Mm -hmm. So you had to have the- Because the driver model was different. Yes, but the driver model kept changing so much that you had to, had to have the amazing floppy with the driver. With and, 120 directories inside yes, for yes, different OSs. Yeah, yes. I know. Yeah, I know. But, uh, but while you're talking about that, yeah, I remembered one thing. Uh, I was lucky, and I think you mentioned something to the fact, but way later in your life, I was quite lucky that I got the 4L, LaserJet 4L, very early. I already had it in high school when I had my uh, some of my first computers. 
and I was already spoiled by it, which because it was basically unbreakable. You just give it to the toner, you give it to the, the paper, and it just keeps on printing and printing. Bef I got before my... that, I had Epson 800XL, which was a dot matrix printer. Yes. That That's completely different. That was breaking all the time. I had uh, my story is entirely different. I had an Epson LQ something, 100, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think I still have it, and I think it still works. I would like to still have my 4L because it never disappointed me. It didn't me. have enough memory. Yes, it was problematic in that way, but it was also very good in some other ways. Yes. But I was uh, running that printer actually on all of the uh, above mentioned OSs and it and always it, it, it works. It always perfectly. works. And I think it, it, it still works because I, uh, I'm i not completely sure, but I think that I saw it in a company that I was working for a at least a decade ago, and I went to their offices a couple of weeks ago, and I think that I saw one of the four L's still running. Okay, uh, I now officially designate you as my four uh, L get me guy. Ah, so so I need to acquire the acquire 4L. yes acquire four L okay. from from some pile of garbage somewhere if it still works. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The next big change was plug and play. When it okay. worked, yes, yes, this was a, a quantum shift in the way in which we deployed hardware. I think the, the opposite of that deserves a completely separate practical episode. We, I have a load, a load of cards back home, which use jumpers and whatnot. Yes. We could easily explain that because plug and play finally brought a lot of chaos back to order in terms of PC hardware, as it wasn't so difficult to make hardware work anymore. And that uh, started with uh, uh, sound cards, controllers, later on went to network cards, SCSI controllers, whatnot. Although there were still still situations um, in which you had, you know, hardware issues clashing between them because um, some a lot of times you were running plug-and-play compatible and incompatible hardware in the same system. Yes, it was it was, it was a confusing uh, time to be uh, in. Hardware because, enthusiast. <laughs> yes, because that. that I don't think that it was only the problem of being hard enthusiast. It was also also a time where the uh, designers of the hardware were mm -hmm. trying to understand how the USB should be working, mm -hmm. and the USB which they don't understand coincidentally to this very day. Yes, so uh, USB another episode. USB by itself is more or less broken. It was always broken. But for a normal computer uh, and a normal user that is using a couple of devices, it works. And the other thing is that uh, when I think about uh, how it was working way back then, the idea of your computer being able to understand which device was connected, to understand what can be installed about it, and to have a central um, uh, repository, repository of, driver, of, dri of driver data. Uh, driver data. I, it's not, you know how I know about that? No, because I broke it while uh, updating a domain controller in uh, in our infrastructure here. Oh, it's it's, it's a nice way to it understand how it. Windows driver d database is broken. Reinstall the OS, basically. Okay, so and anyways, but having a, something that is uh, that that can be considered a central database mm -hmm. that is supporting all the hardware that is available on the market and uh, with a big asterisk, but mm -hmm. uh, yes. all, all the market, all, all everything is supported, and being able to auto detect it and then install it without rebooting was an amazing feat of engineering. Although we mostly for the first couple of years called that feature plug and pray. pray. Yes. 
but the okay and the, the rebooting part was something that sometimes happened uh, okay I, occasionally just because it did i i remember that some of these drivers didn't need to reboot just a re restart of the ui you know in windows 95 98 you remember or that? or yes or the ui itself just broke and restarted itself because yeah. it just kept doing this and this, this is a normal part of the operating system and a part of that story is actually that's when we started switching to atx power supplies and uh you know shutting down computers became a hilarious activity Yes, <laughs> yes. I still miss. I, I, I'll be completely honest. I'm still miss the old clicky, uh, clicky eighty uh, switches. Agreed. Uh, because they were uh, cool as as anything else. You could change those those keys as well. They're no, I, I, was, I was just. I was. Uh, I was looking at old uh, episodes of Computer Chronicles. And uh, they finally get you to go back to that. No, 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 no. It, it kept uh, because you are watching it. Uh, I'm also watching because Google is not paying attention to what you, are, uh, you and me are doing. They are not connecting our, uh, no. our streams now. No. So, uh, All the I connections coming from the same IP, yes, the same so, company. Yeah. Yes. So what I see is that uh, what I miss is the big 80 switch on the IBM PCs. That big clicky switch with the big zero and big one on, mm -hmm. the, on the on the side. I still miss that uh, mechanical switch. You I was are thinking so old. No, no. I was thinking about how to re-implement it in uh, in such a way that I can get the switch to run, and then to have some to, some sort of uh, electronic circuit that is going to just uh, get the impulse out. Do you know what I miss? While we're on the topic of that reminiscing, uh, let's say part of our old life. Yes. I miss the uh, the LEDs with the frequency. That's what's so cool. And the turbo button. Uh, and the turbo button, yes, of course, yes. corresponding to turbo, turbo button. Without it, no, no point. Uh, okay. Other other advancements. Security. EFS. Two thousand was the first OS that had a encrypted file system in yes. Windows. Hugely important. Complete internet integration, application compatibility, and it is the first OS that had the, the, the basics of what Microsoft uses to this very day, which is the Microsoft Management Console, MMC. Without them, a lot of times when I'm doing my work, I would be completely lost. I'm going to say that at the same time, I like MMC as an idea and I hate its guts. I love it to death, and I resent Microsoft for removing a lot of uh, additional snappings, like Exchange snappings for for MMC, because they were super useful. I think that they should be keeping uh, the snappings uh, current as they do the, the PowerShell. Correct. And, so, and UI. And UI, and I think that even if they are unable to do the UI, because sometimes I think that they are unable to do UI because it's too complicated, yes. I, they should be providing snappings always. Agreed. But MMC itself looks ugly. It does. And, and it's a it's a framework and this framework is not uh, I think that this became something that was shipped uh, although it was meant just for developers so uh, it, it feels like something that wasn't semi finished yes it, hmm. it, it feels like it wasn't meant to be a production ready uh, system but it was just a placeholder where developers were able to plug in their modules and then somebody realized okay this is an interesting thing and we, it could be used so let's ship it for the, for our uh, viewers who don't know what MMC is, Microsoft Management Console is a, a modular concept of an application that can use snappings, additional modules, so that you can manage various types of Microsoft applications and services. Okay, but let's individual uh, let's sense, step kind of. a little bit back and let's say the complete internet connectivity. Mm -hmm. 
Let's remember the nice thing, nice things about internet connectivity. Let's remember about there are nice things about internet. Let's connectivity. remember that the uh, Microsoft Explorer, Internet Explorer, mm-hmm. was integrated into the operating system. You want to talk about the lawsuit? Uh, no, I want to talk about the channels. Do you remember the oh, channels? Man. The idea of the idea of directly <laughs> you integrating. You are the pain of my life sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of directly implementing uh-huh. executables inside the data stream that is connected to the internet that it can can be run in a kernel mode. What could possibly go, what wrong? Could possibly go wrong? So <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> so so oh, uh, some of those things that you mentioned are a good thing, but some of those things were complete failures. That's 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 the nature of the business. Companies reinventing themselves. And that's a very diplomatic way of saying what, yes. you, what you wanted to say. Yeah. Okay. What else? Uh, we're going to talk about the OS2 thing related things in a completely separate episode because we are getting close to the end of this one. It's been long enough. I think I would also add a couple of things before, before we wrap this up. NTFS. Very significant. Which version? No, no, NTFS, just as the file system came out of Windows NT development, which we still use to this very day, which is millions of miles better than the FAT32, 16, 8, whatever, 12, doesn't remember Okay, but writing things down on post-it notes is better than the FAT, so uh, I think... No, it's not. You can implement uh, permissions on the post-it notes. You couldn't do that. In in FF, fact, yeah, I yes. agree. Uh, security-wise, it was crap. But, yeah. So as I think that NTFS was the... I, I wouldn't call it a good uh, file system back then uh, if it weren't for the permissions mm-hmm. and uh, the idea of having actual objects. Mm-hmm. So they were able to actually write some um, file data inside the operating system or the file system without uh, having to create clutches like uh, like what uh, macOS did for a long time. Mm-hmm. I would stay. I would actually uh, go against you on this one. NTFS is super significant for the development of uh, Windows OSs. I agree on that. We both do. But I still think it's a crappy file system to this day. From the practical standpoint, as somebody who's done 20 years plus of uh, administrating Windows file servers, do not get me started. I didn't say that it is a good operating system today. No, no, no. It's, I it's, said that it was a great idea back then. It, yeah. was, a, it was a leap forward from the FAT. FAT and it was an amazing op- uh, file system back then. Mm-hmm. But it just stopped just... doing anything uh, to yeah. implement anything that can be used useful today, and so it's stuck in the two thousand. Let's call it two thousands. Okay, protected memory model, preemptive multitasking, RPC. RPC. Yeah, RPC super important. Okay, but this was lifted from the Unix's, yeah. uh, and the idea of RPC was Linux. With Linux. I... But they had to do it. Yeah, they I, had to I, do it. I actually, I think I've. I don't know, grown older or maybe a little bit wiser with age. Uh, I used to resent Microsoft for copy-pasting a crap load of stuff into their operating systems. We were all witnesses to that over past 30-plus years. But I kind of uh, went the other direction because I understood that these features needed to be implemented and reinventing hot water is not an option. Okay, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on this. Uh, I hate it when they uh, copy-paste stuff that is unneeded. So animations, uh, mm-hmm. look and feel, the uh, stupidest idea of having a start button in the middle of the screen uh, that is happening right now on the Sinus 11 and so on. Search not working. <clears throat> yes, search not working with the stand and so on. But when they implement 
I would call it uh, deep level stuff. So um, kernel kernel level stuff like RPCs, like uh, permissions, like uh, file systems, they usually do, uh, they usually do it okay. So I think that this is some of those those things that uh, they actually managed to do uh, just right. A good job with. Yeah. Uh, Good. Pretty, pretty, Good de enough. pretty decent, pretty decent, pretty decent job with the web. Okay. And so uh, it was one of those models that uh, made sense. Still used to be this very day heavily. Um, I'm going to say that uh, the thing that I was missing, and I still don't understand why it is happening this way, the way it is, because I'm not a developer and I didn't take uh, enough time to understand it, is the inconsistencies in in the way that uh, interprocess communication was developed, uh, not using RPCs but using uh, networking? Okay. The, there are a lot of inconsistencies in the using of uh, TCP/IP stack and the you way mean that socket-based communication. Yes, okay. yes, and uh, the TCP/IP stack and the way it uses uh, different uh, pathways and different ideas on how to reference cards uh, when it comes to the operating system. So this is something that is, I think. Still done much better than Linux, I think. Yes, 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 yes. It's much more consistent than Linux. Yeah, okay. What else? VMI. VMI is very one of those important. things. Yes, I think it's uh, more We probably hate its guts, but it's still very important. Um, I think that... Uh, Anybody it, who's ever done VMI filtering in group policies in Active Directory will surely know what we're talking about. But EMI is a kind of a pearl thing. Once you realize how it works, it's an amazing uh, tool. Mm -hmm. But it's a pain in the ass to realize how, it's, uh, how it uh, works. Yeah, and uh, Microsoft is not helping with documentation. Yes, but once you realize what you can expect from it and what, what it's capable of doing, mm -hmm. you are uh, going to invest the time uh, needed. And what I'm bothered is that Microsoft is uh, at the same time still working on VMI. Mm -hmm. And SIM and, well. and And working on PowerShell. And working on all the different uh, different ways that you can uh, control the op uh, the operating system. Uh, right now, they seem to be shifting a little bit towards SSH for some reason. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Beca because they are uh, distributing the operating system with the open SSH server. Uh, okay, disabled. Can I give you a, a point of discussion for future episode? Yes. Maybe they're doing this this for Ansible reasons. Uh, it could be, it could be, but uh, right now your SSH is going to end up in the common shell of the normal common shell, not in the PowerShell, mm -hmm. and this is also something that is currently puzzling. unuseful. That is puzzling. No, 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 that is puzzling, mm -hmm. because what I would expect is just to have a okay registry uh, key that would say, okay, I want this uh, login program as we have in some other operating systems. Mm -hmm. So if I SSH into the machine, I want to have this, whatever it is, the shell. Shell. Oh, yes. yeah. Like in any Unix of and, and this And uh, this capability actually exists. It does. The login shell exists in the, in the uh, Windows. So I don't know why, why it's uh, working this way as it is. Maybe we could look into that as well. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what, what does, did you want to uh, tell me about uh, NT? No, I think it, I'm I'm done with all. Because the I see that I, I see that in the last that you are uh, purposefully uh, ignoring the Windows NT introduced the robust and scalable printing architecture. Of course. Yes, uh, but it was robust. It, it was, was scalable. Do you know why why I'm skipping it? No. Because I have absolutely zero tolerance for that service over the past thirty plus years that I've been using it. 
Okay. Only causing me pain, suffering, <laughs> and, and the wasting my time very efficiently. Let's talk about uh, one of the services that is still living to this day, and it was introduced in Windows NT. Which is? Windows Faxing. Windows Fax service is one of those services that is completely, uh, that is completely uh, untouched by the passing of the time. Mm -hmm. It still exists in the uh, Windows Server. I think you can install it in the Windows Server to, uh, 2022. I didn't, ch I didn't check. I can check. Uh, Go ahead. But when you install it in any version of the Windows, the first thing that you're going to notice is that it is going to install it in its own separate directory. It is going to contain an .ini file. Uh, for the configuration, mm -hmm. it is going to have its own separate. Uh, yeah, it's there. It's going to have its own separate in input and output queues inside directories under Windows uh, directory, yeah, and it is going going to call itself Windows NT Fax Pool. That's awesome. So uh, this is <coughs> this is something that was that is amazing because some of the things that they introduced they didn't even bother to check. I have two things to say about that. For the love of Christ, no sane person should be using a fax. And then comma, it is still quite useful for some things. I'm and going to I would also add that there are so many public services here in Croatia that are still insistent on sending them faxes. Think I'm, of it what you will. I'm going to say one of those things that I haven't checked in, in a while, but uh, at least uh, four or five years ago when I last checked, uh, in Canada, Mm -hmm. The only way to uh, send uh, medical documentation in order to be verified was by using a fax. So you could send the fax with the cover page of the documentation, then send an email, but you had to save and send the fax. And I understand that as a double authentication or you know multi authentication method, it's, it's but it's strange, crazy. It's, it's strange using uh, something that's completely unencrypted and using basically a stream of uh, zeros and ones as um, as two bit image, two bit yeah. image, uh, being uh, able to verify anything. But there, here we are. So uh, Windows NT faxing was something that was introduced and something that was actually working. You really had to go there. Uh, yes, because I'm that old and it was annoying as hell to run it. And still, uh, I think yeah. it, it, is, it has been at least 10 years since I last installed some, some facts. And uh, the I best application in the history of mankind for that was called WinFax Pro. WinFax, yeah, WinFax Pro. Um, and, uh, Coincidentally, on Linux, it worked perfectly. Coincidentally, using uh, uh, this WinFax, uh, this um, uh, service and using I know that it is, it is able to run on Windows 10. You can still do remote uh, faxing from uh, clients mm -hmm. uh, using a GPO. Mm -hmm. It can be done. It is not a nice thing to do to people, but it can be done. <laughs> if you want to troll them yes. via fax, I think that's your next step in development. I'm giving you crazy ideas now. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I, I see a fax to email gateway being installed somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Okay, let's wrap this up. So uh, we talked about uh, the... Windows NT lineage of products. We're going to stop roughly now around the era of Windows 2000 for a reason, and we're going to keep on going through the history of these products in the future. Thank you for listening to us today. Uh, this was uh, another episode of That IT Show podcast. I've been Vedran. I've been Yasmin, and I hope that we didn't uh, make you hate Microsoft more than I do. You don't and hate Microsoft. You just resent them for uh, rational things that you should for okay so uh but sometimes i'm being irrational about uh, hate yeah, yeah you're you're known to be irrational yes 
Okay, so anyways, thank you for being with us and see you next time. Yeah, bye.